Four hours in the 90-plus degree October Texas heat had taken its toll on me. My head was pounding, my throat was coarse, and my stomach was presumably eating itself from nearly 24 hours without food. The day was October 11, 2008. The Oklahoma Sooners had just been defeated by the Texas Longhorns, 45-35. to 35. Sifting our way through the mass of humanity that is the Texas State Fair, Lee and I had two things on our mind. Find sustenance, and then get the hell out of there. Relief was finally found in the form of deep-fried cookie dough and a bottle of water. As we slowly shuffled through the crowd that was losing pigments of crimson and cream rather quickly, Lee and I sadly consumed what would be the lone, disappointing consolation prize from a day we had looked forward to since we were children. I've been to four iterations of the Red River Shootout since that hot October day in 2008. The next season was more of the same disappointment for the Sooners. They'd already lost twice, but the disappointment was still present. Everything was made worse, of course, by Sam Bradford playing his last snap as a Sooner that afternoon. And yes, I have to bring up, when Bradford attempted to stand up and then fell over again in agony from the pain in his shoulder, the Texas side of the field did erupt like they had just won the game on that play. There's been doubts about whether that happened. I was there. It happened. It obviously happened. But I digress. The next season, I was finally able to experience a Sooner victory in the Cotton Bowl. It was anything but pretty. The Sooners had tried their absolute best down the stretch to allow Garrett Gilbert, remember him, to beat them. Thankfully, that didn't happen, and the Golden Hat was back in its rightful place. Took the next couple years off from the Cotton Bowl, which was rather unfortunate. The Sooners would win the next two meetings by an average of 39 points. I'm pretty sure you remember the games, Trey Millard, Blake Bell, all that fun stuff. Mostly everyone expected more of the same the next season in 2013. The Sooners were undefeated while Texas had already been blown out in September by Ole Miss and BYU. Apparently, I picked a pretty awful time to make my triumphant return to the Texas State Fair. The Sooners allowed a number of clutch, big-time throws from the arm of oft-forgotten Case McCoy en route to a 36-20 shellacking. The game wasn't as close as the score suggested. Texas really whooped up on them. The next season, I decided I needed to get that bad taste out of my mouth, and I returned to the Cotton Bowl. The Sooners actually did win, which was nice, but they were badly outplayed. Needed an Alex Ross kick return touchdown and a Zach Sanchez pick six to escape with a 31-26 to win, which is very fortunate in, uh, in context. Otherwise, most Sooner fans would remember that game as the one in which they made Tyrone Swoops look like a combination of Fran Tarkenton and Tom Brady. I have not been back since. I was physically in the city of Dallas in 2015, but did not, did not attend the game. Everyone knows what happened that year. The results were painfully similar to what we saw last week on Owen Field, being out-prepared and out-hustled by an inferior team with a limited quarterback. If you remember, that was the year that Gerard Hurd beat OU without attempting a pass, really, for the most part. But don't fear, Sooner fans. OU is 3-0 and since 2008, when I am not physically in the city of Dallas for the Red River Shootout. In those three games, they're even averaging 54 points. That means the Sooners are going to roll on Saturday, right? Well, I, of course not. That's a hacky take. 
really grasping at straws with that one. But I assume like many Sooner fans after the Iowa State game, I'm just looking for anything, man. Anything that will give me a better feel for this game. Anything that will get rid of this feeling of dread that we're about to see something really ugly on Saturday. I mean, after last week, can you really blame me? Now look, I love OU Texas. This is an event that deserves the national eye. It's truly unique and truly one of the must-see spectacles we have in our sport. Let's hope we remember this game as the one in which Oklahoma resurrected their season. I'd hate for Sooner fans to exit the Cotton Bowl feeling like I did in 2008, or 2009, 2013, probably even throw a couple years ago, 2015 in there too. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Murray hurdles a man. Murray, one man to beat down the sideline. He's got speed. DeMarco Murray is gone. Touchdown, Oklahoma. <laughs> 65 yards for the Oklahoma touchdown. And their fans have been awakened. DeMarco Murray goes 65 yards to the house back on October the 6th, 2007. Murray hurdled one of his teammates near the line of scrimmage and then hit the sideline and dusted the Texas defense right into the end zone located on the Oklahoma side of the field. Thousands of Sooners fans going crazy as Murray gave OU the lead. Oklahoma went on to win the game 28-21. That is how we start this edition of West of Everest. I am Lee Benson. You heard my brother Grant at the top of the show. I'll bring him back here in a moment. But before we do all of that, I want to thank all of you who have been listening to the show since the premiere episode back on August 28th. If you have a moment to give us a rating on iTunes and maybe even leave a review, that would be great. Of course, West of Everest is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email westofeverest at gmail.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Lee Benson News 9, and Grant is at GrantBenson25, at GrantBenson25. So let's bring Grant back into the fold. Grant, I think that DeMarco Murray touchdown, that one from the intro, is one of, uh, one of your all-time favorite OU Texas moments. Is that, uh, is that correct? That is, is that ab- accurate? That is absolutely accurate. I'm surprised you knew that. I, abs- I love that play. And actually, I want to explain to you why I love that play so much. So one of, one of, like, one of my weird ticks and one of the reasons why I love college football so much is that I, just, I really love um, you know, atmosphere and crowds. And in particular, I love just the subtle technique um, when you're watching a game on TV of how when somebody you know, has a really long run or a long pass or something like that, and you see the camera pan out so you can see like a really good shot of how the crowd is reacting to everything, that DeMarco Murray touchdown round has one of the best examples of that, Lee. And so I, I want people to go on YouTube and look for it just because it was such a cool moment. I believe the game was tied on that long touchdown run. Yeah, it and, was. And, Gave and, OU a, yep. a touchdown lead. And the OU side of the Cotton Bowl on that run was going just bananas. And it looks really cool on TV because it was a beautiful, like, sunny day. And um, it, it just, it, it was cool. And I, I everyone go back and, and watch that because that was a really, really good OU Texas game. That was two uh, really good teams um, that, that played, you know, an incredible game. And of course, they played an incredible game the next season, too. But I, I think that one is, is oft forgotten amongst a lot of Sooner fans. 
if you're searching for that game on YouTube, just or searching for that run, I should say, just search the game OU Texas 2007 because there's not any good just set uh, videos on YouTube as far as just the play itself. I should know. I looked over and over again in preparation for this show. So I had to pull that from the actual game broadcast. But yeah, as Grant said, it, it is a cool shot. And it makes me kind of wonder what it would have looked like if it was flipped and Murray was running into the Texas end zone. I don't imagine they would have done the done the pan out shot like yeah. that because yeah. all the Texas fans would have been quiet and doing nothing. But at the same time, it'd be kind of interesting to see what it would look like to see the opposite. Basically, Murray running into an end zone of all burnt orange and nobody cheering. That would have been pretty pretty neat. Yeah, it would have been. And you know what, Lee? We've that's a game that you and I have been to together uh, a handful, of, quite a few times actually. Um, I, I think we've been together three or four times. But one of the coolest things, of course, about the Cotton Bowl, and it's one of these things that you never—it's—it's it's not really a good thing, but it's kind of cool. But because of how, because of the split, and when you're in, when you're sitting in the end zone, like we have a couple times, the the shot that you get of the other side of the Texas fans reacting to anything that good, anything good that happens to their team. It sucks in the moment, but when you think back on it, it's actually really cool because you get to see, you know, 52,000 some odd fans on the other side, just going nuts. And so that's a, it, it's really, really unique. You have, you have both, it, it's a home game and a road game for both teams when something good happens. And it's just, it's really cool. It's one of those things that's hard to explain unless you unless you actually experience it. And if you haven't been yet, it's it re- it's such a cool game. You, you got to go. And unless I'm missing something, it's got to be really the only true neutral site event in college football, or if not just college football, but just in football in general, because it truly is split fifty fifty at the fifty yard line, which is so unique and awesome that uh, you can only appreciate it to the fullest extent if you see it. In person, which I'm sure a lot of people that have listened to this show have seen in person and would totally agree with what we are saying. So, Grant, let's move into OU Texas week. A couple of early talking points to get through so far to start the show. First off, the defense, of course, did not play very well against uh, against Iowa State and a lot of talk throughout this past week going into this game, or I guess I should say after the Iowa State game is, oh my gosh, is this going to be it for Mike Stoops? Is this is this finally his time? And Lincoln Riley did say at his press conference on Monday that there were no defensive coaching changes on the table. So Mike Stoops is going to be here, barring some sort of crazy development that we don't anticipate. Mike Stoops is going to be the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma. That shouldn't surprise anybody. It, it would take a lot for him to be let go, in my opinion, at this point in the season, at this point of the season. Further, speaking of the defense, and this is going to be my favorite part of the show. I'll be quit. I'll be honest with you, Grant. My favorite part of the show is going to be coming up right here. Lincoln Riley confirmed basically everything I said about Jordan Thomas <laughs> on the podcast last week at his Monday press conference. Did you happen to catch anything that Lincoln Riley said? If not, I will let you know what he said. I have some quotes. Well, you know what? I actually did hear exactly what he said, but for the audience, Lee, how about you go ahead and recap it for them? So Lincoln Riley came up, and one of the first things he's talked about was upon watching the tape back, of course, you know, he went back, watched film of the game. He said that he thought the pass coverage improved from the Baylor game. What did I say last time on the podcast? Oklahoma and specifically Jordan Thomas, was much worse against Baylor. Well, Lincoln Riley said that he thought pass coverage improved from that Baylor game. He said that and against Iowa State that he saw more issues with tackling compared to against Baylor. They gave up a lot of big plays in the secondary and had busted coverages. 
Riley said, quote, we had a chance to make plays. You're not going to make plays every time, but we have good players and you've got to make more. So that's kind of what we decided with Jordan Thomas. And then further, when he was talked, talked when he was asked specifically about Jordan Thomas, Riley said, he's got to trust he's a good player and he knows how to make those plays. He's been snake bit on. Let me start over. He's been snake bit, honestly. Felt like he had good coverage a couple times and a flag comes out. Some guys just made great plays. He was in nice position on the final touchdown to Lazard. And he, he mentioned that Jordan Thomas just simply needs to work on his fundamentals and practice and trust that those plays will start to go his way. Is that pretty much not what I said on the last podcast, Grant? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just I'm, – I'm, I'm doing it. I don't care. I'm going to brag about it, but he's I think I pretty a, much nailed it. Everybody, he's taking a victory lap. He's taking a victory lap right now. Um, I'm assuming – I mean, obviously, I'm assuming why this is presumably, you know, your favorite part of the podcast today is because you get to take a victory lap. You get to spike the football. Uh, you know what? Congratulations. And as, as you know, as much as I hate to say this, I actually did go back and watch uh, the defense in the Iowa State game, and you were generally – pretty right about Jordan Thomas. In fact, actually, after watching the game over again, I actually, I, I, I think, Lee, I think JT just needs to make a play. He just, if he makes one play, I think he'll be fine. And that's what Lincoln Riley said, and Mike Stoops talked on Tuesday, and that's basically what he said over and over and over again, is guys got to make plays. And it's not like, and, and this is something where, I, unfortunately, I was not able to go to the Tuesday defensive availability. I wish I could have been there to ask Mike Stoops, hey, coach, I'm curious specifically, what do you mean by make a play? Because do you mean uh, that a guy is there in the right position, but they just don't make a play? Or, or I guess, what do you specifically mean by make a play? Because, again, watching on film, players like Jordan Thomas was in positions throughout the game to make a play. It just crazily never went his way. Yeah. So. And, and I'm, and I, I think I said. Uh, earlier this week on the podcast, uh, 2015 Jordan Thomas on that Alan Lazard play. I mean, that's that's picked off. I mean, it's not even close. Alan Lazard is never even open on that play because he probably doesn't slip, and you know he he probably gets his hands up, you know, in time, and that's an interception. I think Jordan Thomas is going to be fine. Obviously, if this continues, if he if he continues to put himself in a position to make a play and doesn't, then that's something maybe to be concerned about. But I just I, I find it kind of hard to believe how. Uh, especially, yeah, he, especially in this last game against Iowa State, he he really he really was in good position of a vast majority of the time. Just for whatever reason, it just didn't go his way. He just didn't make the play that he needed to play. And uh, eventually, those averages uh, they're going to average out. Uh, and I'm I, I'm just I'm nowhere near as as concerned about Jordan Thomas after watching that. I'm a little more worried about uh, Stephen Parker. I, I I thought in the first half watching Stephen Parker, I didn't think he looked particularly good. Well, he's a guy that uh, is apparently up in the air status-wise, and we're going to transition now into talking about injuries because injuries could play a big factor in this OU-Texas game. And Lincoln Riley told Toby Rowland, the voice of OU football, Tuesday night that a couple of guys are progressing and a couple of guys are on the bubble as far as their injury status for the OU-Texas game. And it is worth noting that the player that you mentioned a moment ago, Stephen Parker, did practice on Tuesday, according to Mike Stoops. And on the offensive side of the football, C.D. Lamb, I saw this on Twitter. He replied to a tweet just generally asking about his his shoulder. And C.D. Lamb tweeted out, quote, I'm good. 
And then he also had another quote later in the week saying something along the lines of big players make big plays in big games or something like that. So it makes you kind of wonder or it, it, it makes you feel positive and, and it makes it seem like CeeDee Lamb might be leaning towards being a, a go against Texas, which is obviously a good thing. Lee, I do want to throw this out, though. Uh, this this happened pretty uh, pretty shortly kind of before we came on to record this. We're recording this on Wednesday night. If you want to know, they just had uh, media availability with Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley did confirm that C.D. Lamb has not practiced this week. So he hasn't done anything in practice. Um, so that makes it a little more of a toss-up. And so he was it. Lee Lincoln said that there's a couple guys progressing and there are a couple guys on the bubble do you think I, I think it's pretty safe to assume as of right now the couple guys in the bubble are probably the two offensive guys, probably Lamb and Abdul Adams, I would yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah. And then the guys progressing are Parker and I would I would guess Drew Samia, who didn't play in the last game. Um so I who who do you, Lee, who who do you think out of that out of that foursome, who's who's the most important do you think to play in this game? If if you could pick one guy who you want who who would you can want we, to be? Can we hold on for, for that for later? We sure can, Lee. I was just trying to create conversation. That's gonna be basically gonna that's basically gonna be one of the questions we talk about when we discuss the Oklahoma offense against the Texas defense. That's see, this is this is this is why we're 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 so good, guys, is because we, we, we already know what we're thinking. And we, we just know it. So hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So that's that's the the injury update and me taking a victory lap, which is to be clear the most important part of the show. So all that's out of the way. <laughs> now let's go into Oklahoma's offense against Texas's defense. And for this, I decide to look back on the 2016 OU Texas game. And I got to say at the top, Grant made a good point after I had done this. He said, "Hey, you should probably watch the OU Houston game." to get more of an idea of what Texas's defense will do this year because, that's of course, that's where Tom Herman coached last year and, of course, Houston and OU played. Didn't even think about that. Didn't even take into account to watch the OU-Houston game. So instead, I watched OU-Texas from 2016. Of course, Mike Herman, Mike Herman, Tom Herman was not there at the time. But I got to think that the defense still, though, is going to be pretty similar to what Oklahoma saw in 2016. I could be wrong. It is. Charlie... Jesus, his name is escaping me right now. What's his name, Lee? Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong. I have I've already forgotten his name. Even though, even though he's, he's having a heck of a time at South Florida. I was to say he's not even out of the like the the national spotlight. He's he's still a coach for for a program. But anywho, but I Charlie Strong's defense is is an aggressive defense. So it's I mean it's 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 going to be fairly similar to Todd, uh, Todd Orlando's defense, which is which is an aggressive attacking defense. Charlie Strong's defense were I'm not going to say they're the same, but but they have kind of the same philosophy: play fast, play aggressive. So I basically watched the entire game from last season. I stopped watching when Oklahoma scored to take a 42-27 to lead with about 10 or 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And specifically, I wanted to watch and see how often Texas blitz Baker Mayfield because so far this year when I've watched Texas play defense, it seems like a lot of the plays they blitz on. They're just a very aggressive attacking defense, as Grant just talked about. So Here's what I found out, or here's what I saw from Texas' defense against Oklahoma last year. I'll break it down into both halves. First half, Oklahoma ran 40 plays. Surprisingly, Texas only blitzed 11 times, which was 27% of the time. So I guess roughly 25% of the time. Texas blitzed five different times on first down, three times on second down, and three times on third down in the first half. So really, it was a lot of four-down linemen and a lot of zone going against Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma. 
and now it's escaping me. I can't remember how many points Oklahoma scored in the first half, but uh, they made some mistakes. Mayfield threw two picks, even though one of the picks was a, uh, a play that should have been flagged for defensive pass interference. Grant, you may remember. I think it was... Um, Oh, that's right. Was it, was, guy. It, it was by uh, far. It one was, of the receivers was drilled yeah. over the middle. And, it was Geno Lewis, I think. I, 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 yeah, that sounds about right. And I, I think had it was Geno Lewis. Yeah, but it was. I remember that it was. It was the worst non-call of a pass interference I've ever seen. Literally ever. I mean, that's not even hyperbole. It was the worst non-call I had. I had ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it was Geno Lewis. He was crushed over the middle. There was no flag. So that was one of the interceptions. And the other one was a pass to Mark Andrews where he kind of got hit and dropped it. And so both picks really weren't even Mayfield's fault. So, and that's kind of, that kind of kept Texas in the game in the first half. In the second half, going back to Texas defense, after halftime, the Longhorns got way more aggressive. Oklahoma, in the, in the plays that I watched, 27 plays. Again, this was up until Oklahoma took a 42-27 lead in the fourth quarter. Out of those 27 plays, Texas blitzed 16 times. So almost 60% of the time, Texas blitzed in the second half against Oklahoma. Nine of those blitzes came on first down. Oklahoma had a lot of first downs in that game against Texas. And, and really, it didn't matter, ultimately, whether or not Mayfield was blitzed or not blitzed in that game. He played really, really well. Uh, but I'll get to more of that in a moment. In total, 67 plays I watched. Texas blitzed 27 times, which is about 40%, which is actually 40%. So not quite half the time, a little less than half the time, Texas blitzed Baker Mayfield last season. That's, and, that's, uh, that's a pretty healthy amount of blitzes still. Sure, sure. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Surprisingly, and, and this is credit to Oklahoma's offense because Oklahoma gained a ton of yards against Texas last season. Texas only blitzed four times on third down. And the reason for that is because there wasn't a whole lot of third downs Oklahoma was in quite frankly, against mm-hmm. Texas last season. They they picked up a lot of first downs, got them early on first and second down. And I will say this, in the second half, a lot of the blitzes came with three down linemen for Texas. And I think the blitzer on a lot of those plays could have actually been a spy on Baker Mayfield. And once Mayfield was going to throw it and not necessarily run, the guy crashed in to get to Mayfield. So it looked like a blitz, but maybe it necessarily wasn't a blitz call. So that, should, that also factors in to uh, to the numbers, if you will, for the second half. But what does this all mean? Well, from what I saw, it didn't really matter if Texas blitzed or didn't blitz last year. Mayfield was pretty much awesome either way. 22 of 31, 390 yards, three touchdowns. Those two interceptions that were really not even his fault. He also had four carries for 20 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Mayfield was fantastic against Texas last season. And it makes me think that if he just plays the same way, which of course is difficult considering he played very well, Oklahoma's offense should not have any trouble, even against a, a solid to really good Texas defense this year. Lee, I, I, I know West of Evers is a, is a family-friendly show, so I apologize for saying this, but Oklahoma's offense last year in the second half against Texas was downright sexual. It was that good. They moved the ball at will in the second half. And you're right, they had a ton of yards. They, I, I'm pretty sure they had almost 700 yards of offense in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, yeah, the second half was amazing. If you remember, I, I'm pretty sure, uh, P Ryan ran for over like 150 in the second half. Uh, there was also a couple really, uh, big pass plays to DD Westbrook. That was kind of his coming out party. Um, that was like, I, I think he had had a pretty decent game the week before that against TCU, but he really came out against Texas. He had, he had a couple touchdowns, a couple long touchdowns against Texas. I think actually I think three long touchdowns against Texas last year. Um, 
that game was so much fun last year. That that was cool. And it was it was one of those weird things too. Texas was only in the game really in general because of the first half of uh, just the the three the three turnovers, the, the the two picks that were one the fault of the uh, the officiating and then the fault of Mark Andrews and then I think Joe Mixon fumbled uh, late in the first half. Yep. Uh, yep, and while the Sooners were going in, so without the turnovers, I think it's safe to assume yeah, inside that, the red zone. Yeah, w- w- without the turnovers, last year's game w- would have been probably a, a two to three touchdown win for the Sooners. They they played pretty well last year. Um, I, I'm I'm just hoping we see more of the same. In fact, if if the Sooners are going to win, I, I think we're probably going to see a game that was a whole hell of a lot like last year's game. So let's now talk more about Oklahoma's offense this season. And you talked about C.D. Lamb and Abdul Adams and how their status for OU Texas is up in the air. You mentioned the question earlier, who would you want to pick to play if you could pick any of those guys to play? Or no, what was the question? It was who, who's the biggest loss? Or well, it was, do, do you want to rephrase? Out of those four guys, if you had to pick one person to be active and 100% healthy against Texas, who would you pick? All right, so here's where, yeah, and that's, that's what we'll go with here. So to answer your question, between who are the four guys again, CeeDee Lamb, Abdul Adams, Stephen Parker, and Drew Samia? Uh, yes. So if I had to pick one of those four guys that had to be active, if I could pick at 100%, I would pick Abdul Adams because his game is, is, is needed for Oklahoma's offense, and I say that because of the way things went last week against Iowa State when he came out of the game. He he adds that spark to the offense that, frankly, Trey Sermon just does not have. And I'm concerned about Rodney Anderson and Marcellia Sutton because with Adams out last week, I would have assumed that those one of those guys or both those guys would have gotten a little more touches. But no, it was all Trey Sermon for the most part. And again, he's not a flashy player, an explosive type player. And I think Oklahoma needed that against Iowa State. But Sutton and Anderson never got on the field except for Anderson a couple times. So it makes me wonder, do they not know the offense? Do they not know the blocking assignments? Does Lincoln Riley not really trust them a whole lot? I, I, I have so many questions regarding those two players. And to talk more specifically you know why not go with CD Lamb? He's he's a really good wide receiver. Well, the reason for that is because I don't think the absence of Lamb should be a huge detriment to Oklahoma. I mean, Jeff Bidet, Jeff Bidet's a really good receiver. Mark Andrews, of course, is good. Jordan Smallwood is a serviceable receiver as well. In fact, Baker Mayfield last week after the Iowa State loss got defensive with the media at, during the post game press conference, and he said that there's not a whole lot of a drop off from CD Lamb to Jordan Smallwood because uh, he was. I mean, he was. He was um, trying to pump up his his teammate, and, and he was not not happy about all the questions about oh, once Lamb went out, the offense seemed to stall. Blah 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 blah. And and really, I I tend to think that Baker Mayfield's so good that he can make these other wide receivers look really good as well. And with a week of preparation to get a couple other guys in in the fold, especially like you said earlier that that Lincoln Riley said that Lamb has not practiced this week. It makes me think, okay, Mayfield will do a nice job of getting other players more involved, whether it be Lee Morris, Michael Jones, heck, even Grant Calcaterra. So I think Abdul Adams of those four is certainly the one I'd like to see play the most. Yeah, Lee, uh, gun to my head. If I had to just pick one, it would it would also be Abdul Adams. Um, you and I, I think talked privately about this. I don't know if we touched on it too much in, uh, on this week's earlier podcast. Um, we, you and I both really like Trey Sermon. I, I think Trey Sermon's a really valuable uh, player in the team. Just one because just one, one guy can't bring him down. He, he it, 
it takes three, four guys to bring him down. He always falls forward. Um, you know, if, if, if we need to pick up two yards, I want, I want Trey Sermon in there. Um, having said that, Trey Sermon is not, is, is not the quickest guy imaginable. Um, it, it seems like he really just does not uh, identify and hit holes very quickly. That is where Abdul Adams uh, succeeds. He, he's very good at that. And uh, I, I know it, it's been a small sample size because honestly, Abdul has, has, has had a tough time staying on the field consistently this year. But Abdul's one of the most explosive players in the country. Um, and, and I think we've seen that just in his um, in, in his very few carries. I mean, he doesn't have, he, he's, he's still averaging 10 yards a carry this year. I mean, that's, that's absurd. Um, going back to the game, I, I really don't think there was anything weird going on with uh, Sutton and Anderson. I, I honestly think that the thought process was we're in a close game in the second half. Um, we've had Trey Sermon take the reins in the second half of two separate games and kind of carry us to the finish line. And they were thinking, and you know, Trey's played pretty well to this point. Might as well keep him in. I, it's, it's hard to disagree with that. In fact, late in the game, I, I would have just preferred Trey to be in there just because he's, he's proven to, to be reliable in big, big situations like that. And Trey, Trey played well on Saturday. This is not, this is nothing against Trey Sermon. Um, He's he's really good. I, I just think he he's better with Abdul Adams complimenting him, just because they're they're so different in their running styles. I mean, they're they're night and day difference, and they're they're both difficult to to adjust to. Um, and Abdul right now is just is just a, a bigger play threat, and I think he he really is a valuable member of this offense. Um, CD w- would probably be third on my list on here. I, I'd probably put Stephen Parker ahead of him. Um, Chance Sylvie did make some mistakes when, when Steven was out in the second half last week. Um, that doesn't mean I, I, I think CD is, is the best receiver on this team. I, I think that's, he's, he's established that over the first five games of the season. And so obviously I, I would really like him to play. Um, if, if I had to make a guess right now, it sounds like he's probably not going to play based off of what, uh, Lincoln Riley said today. Uh, but we'll see. Oh, oh, oh. The, the Sooners have some options at receiver. I, I don't. Um, I think people are are kind of overreacting uh, to last week. I, I think people are overreacting because once once CD came out, it did look like that Iowa State was covering the receivers pretty well. There was a lot of instances where Baker just had a ton of time to throw back there and just no one to throw to. Um, I, I'm not as worried about that because um, I think I mentioned this earlier this week, but it. It, that looked very similar to when they played Iowa State last year too. I, Iowa State uh, was was covering in the secondary very well last year too, um, and that that turned out just to be kind of an aberration. And Iowa State just played really well, um, and that was with D.D. Westbrook. They 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 kept D.D. last year to only three or four catches. So um, I until we see more uh, until we see that more often until it becomes a trend. I'm not too worried about it. Um, OU's receivers were, were, a, were a huge strength of the team the first four weeks of the season, and that includes on the road at, at Ohio State. There was plenty of receivers getting open in that game. Um, I, I'm CD's the, the best receiver on the team, but they, they do have a lot of options. That, that's a position where they're very deep, and they can kind of plug and play there. As far as the Texas defense, Grant, I know you like to look at statistics that measure the degree of explosiveness based yes. on offense and defense. And I hear that you have a interesting stat that could be a good a good stat for Oklahoma's offense taking on that Texas defense. Yeah, uh, Texas for the most part this year, everybody has actually been pretty solid on defense um, in terms of efficiency. Efficiency is measured just by basically how many plays the other team is successful on um, in that 
in that mode, Texas is 32nd in the country, and that's actually pretty good when you take into account this next stat about about explosiveness. Um, the Texas is the Texas defense is 107th in the country in, in the rate of explosive plays that they give up. Um, explosive plays are, are are defined by by basically gains over 20 yards and and any you know any touchdown that long and stuff like that. So so Texas can give up a big play. They they gave up a really big one to to Kansas State on Saturday that was a coverage bust um, in the first half. Um, th- this is a team that'll uh, one that that is going to put a lot of pressure on you because they're so. Be, uh, because they're so aggressive, but because of that aggressiveness, they can give up some big plays, and that fits right um, into Oklahoma's hands. Because I think a lot of people would would argue they're arguably the most explosive team in the country um, by those numbers that I that I quoted. Um, actually, OU in terms of being explosive is the uh, 16th best team in the country in in explosive plays on offense. Um, I, I bet a lot of that. Uh, came probably from the Iowa State game. I, I think they were in they were in single digits before the Iowa State game. So uh, Oklahoma explosive offense and Texas is a is a is a team. And this is this is five games now for Texas. It's it's a fairly large sample size when we're talking about a college football season. They give up explosive plays, so I, I think that can be exploited. And of course, Oklahoma's offense gets a lot of explosive plays. No surprise there. And when you talk about this Texas defense, I think it's important to point out that this defense is not as good as Ohio State's defense and Oklahoma took care of business against Ohio State and Columbus and played so well. Granted, yes, CeeDee Lamb was in that game. We're not sure if CeeDee Lamb will be playing on Saturday against Texas. But the one thing that really worries about me worries me about Texas' defense is just the way they play aggressively, and they have more of a chance to force Oklahoma to make a mistake because of the way they go after it and they try to force the issue. The thing is, though, Baker Mayfield's usually pretty good at making plays when faced with a blitz, faced with rushers, and getting away from pressure and making a play. So basically, again, the only thing that really worries me me about this Texas defense is the fact that they they do have the ability to cause havoc and force Oklahoma to make a mistake and turn the ball over and give Texas offense, which is getting better, but it's still not a very good offense, short fields. down there in, in Dallas. So, I mean, is there any – what's the, the part about Texas defense that, that um, worries you the most, Grant, before we move on to the OU defense versus Texas offense? Yeah, Lee, the, the thing that I that I noticed watching the tape against Kansas State, at least just in the first half, Texas defense is well-schemed. Um, they move around a lot pre-snap. Uh, they send pressure from a lot of different uh, directions. They're just really aggressive. Um, they're they're going to throw a lot of looks at Baker – um, I, th- I think he's going to be ready for them. Um, he's he's shown a propensity in his career to burn pressure, um, so I th- I wouldn't be surprised if Texas actually sort of backs off on the pressure. Um, they, um, I I didn't go back to watch tape, but uh, you know I I've seen the game numerous times of last year's Houston uh, game when they were going against Todd Orlando, who is who is now the office or the defensive coordinator at Texas. Uh, Tech or Houston did not send a ton of pressure in that game. Um, they, they kind of relied on their front four to generate pressure in that game. And they actually did. And that really threw Baker Mayfield off in the second half of that game. Um, you saw it last week with Iowa state too. Iowa state dropped eight, a lot of the time on defense and spied Baker. Um, and he struggled, uh, just a little bit, especially, you know, if, if the secondary is covering well. So, I, I'm really curious if Todd Orlando is going to think, hey, I, I've watched a little bit of tape. I saw what Iowa State did. Maybe we won't pressure Baker as much because he Baker's numbers against the Blitz are, um, if you trust pro football focus, um, are they're absurd. They're they're absolutely absurd. I think last year he had a perfect NFL quarterback rating when when teams blitzed him. Uh, I mean that and that's serious. That's that's insane. 
Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I the the pressure kind of kind of concerns me, uh, just because Todd Orlando does scheme it well. He he does try to confuse you, um, and I'm not necessarily co- uh, concerned about Baker being confused, but more more so the offensive line because they do send pressure from a lot of different angles, and um, it's it, it's a well schemed defense. This is this is probably the most talented defense as soon as you're going to face the the remainder of the regular season. Um, unless you want to throw TCU in there, I I don't really want to. I think Texas is more talented. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be a test, uh, and so I, I I'm just really really interested to see how how Texas schemes this game. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if they come out a little more conservative. So let's switch gears now to. The Oklahoma defense, which is going in the wrong direction right now, against the Texas offense, which is going in the right direction, at least based off of the last game Texas played at home against Kansas State, where Sam Ellinger was able to accumulate 380 yards passing and another 100-plus on the ground. And this is a guy, Grant, I didn't get a chance to see a whole lot of this Texas-Kansas State game, but I did watch the entire USC Texas game where Ellinger was playing and he looked downright lost a lot of the time and the Texas offense was rudimentary in that game could barely move the football it was a miracle quite frankly that they were even in that game at the end and that's why I got on Tom Herman so much at the end of that game because he didn't go for two to go for the win when they could have beaten him in regulation because once again, Texas had no business even being in that game at the end. So after you watched Kansas State-Texas, what are your thoughts on that Texas offense and, and how much has it progressed since that USC game? Uh, they, I thought they looked really good against Kansas State. Um, they, they moved the ball consistently and, and with ease sometimes. Uh, one of the big equalizing factors in that game was just, was just turnovers. Um, in the first half, Texas drove it all the way down You know, inside the three inside the two yard line and they, they, they turned it over on downs, weren't able to score at all. Um, other than that, Texas really kind of controlled the tempo of this, uh, of that game. There was a little bit of inconsistency in Texas offense a little bit in the first quarter and maybe the third quarter. Um, I'll put that on just having a freshman quarterback. Um, I, I I think I came, I I think I said this a couple weeks ago about Sam Ellinger. Um, I said, Texas fans should be praying that Shane Bouchel gets healthy because Shane Ellinger, or, or not Shane Ellinger, because Sam Ellinger is not very good. That was based solely off of the USC game. The Sam Ellinger I saw against Kansas State is is, is much is much better than Shane Bouchel. Um, so I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping that Sam Ellinger kind of got got his good game out of his system. Uh, last week because he he looked good uh, a lot of zip on the ball he was accurate throwing the ball um, showed a lot of trust in his receivers which sort of scares me because their receivers are are big tall can 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 get after the ball um, so we'll see he, he's still a true freshman I I am completely uh, confident in, in Ellinger's ability to make a mistake if you pressure him enough uh, on the very first play of the game actually Lee against Kansas State Ellinger Ellinger had a wide open Colin Johnson for a touchdown over the middle of the field and he badly underthrew it and he threw a pick. So I'm 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 hoping that's the Sam Ellinger that we see against OU because after that play Sam Ellinger was was almost flawless. He was really good. Threw threw for almost 400 yards and he ran for 100. So he was very good. So the Offense has improved for Texas. Sam Ellinger, so I'm surprised to hear that he's improved that much, especially against Kansas State. Kansas State normally has a pretty good defense, 
And that uh, sounds like he he played so well I don't, uh, I, against the Wildcats. I kind of want to push. I, I I agree. Kansas State usually does play uh, pretty. It looked like a lot of soft, a lot of soft yeah. coverages when yeah. I was watching for about a quarter. Kansas State to me has always been a team that I, I feel like has been good in the front seven, just because they are disciplined and they're very assignment sound. But when you have a team. Um, that athletically can match up with them and even maybe exceed them athletically and you have a a competent quarterback playing well, man, they can get shredded in the secondary pretty easily. Um, I I feel like that's always been the case with Kansas State. Um, They they just, they never really seem to have... uh, All right, well, let's let's not go on a tangent on Kansas State. I know, but... Let's stick on Texas. I know, but man, it's big 12 football. I love football. So Texas was able to exploit Kansas State on the back end. Now, uh, what, I mean... It's an obvious question. Are we going to see Texas basically just try to throw the ball all, all around the field and basically just pick on Jordan Thomas all game? It's possible. And based off of our conversation earlier, maybe that would be an okay thing if, if Jordan Thomas has decided to make plays in this game. Um, Texas had he'd did, pick a good game. Yep. He'd pick a good game to make some plays finally at OU Texas, yeah. that's for sure. Uh, yeah, Texas is not going to be overwhelming running the football. Um Outside, uh, Sam Ellinger, like I said, had 107 yards rushing um, against Kansas State on Saturday. Other than that, we Chris Warren had seven carries for 14 yards. Kyle Porter, seven carries for 13 yards. Uh, Toneal Carter had six for 32. Uh, that's it in, in, in terms of running backs. And from what what I saw, definitely they were not getting you know a lot of chunk yards on the ground. So. Um, It'll be interesting to see if if Tom Herman comes out and says, "Hey, you know, we're just going to wing the ball around because Oklahoma has shown a propensity to be to be vulnerable in that area," um, or maybe not because uh, Texas's offense and and very much like his old Ohio State offenses and his Houston offenses really do benefit from from a strong run game to set up the play action pass. So uh, we'll see, we'll see. And obviously, Texas knows that they may have some. Uh, some success on the edges like Iowa State did against OU's defense. Anything else about this matchup that, that you'd like to touch on? I mean, I know we haven't gotten a, a, a ton of detail when it comes down to this because, I mean, it's it's tough. We, we don't know what we're going to get. I mean, if we get exactly what we got from Oklahoma's defense against Iowa State, Texas is going to move the ball just as easily on the Sooners as Texas moved the ball against Kansas State. But it's like, okay, Oklahoma knows they have to prepare differently and they have to to play better. So it's like, will the Sooners play like that again because they have so much pressure on them? Past history makes you us think, yeah, maybe they will. Maybe Oklahoma will just continue to play poor defensively because really, has there been any other reason for us to think otherwise? So it's it's difficult yeah. for me to go into detail about really to break down what's going to happen in this game because we've seen so much Jekyll and Hyde from Oklahoma's defense and quite frankly Jekyll and Hyde from Texas's offense. It's just at this point OU is going down as I said at the top and Texas is going up. Well, Lee, I you know what I, I think they have given us a reason to think maybe they would play better and it happened it happened a month ago in Columbus. I mean the the same people are going to be the same players are going to be on the on the field as they were for that game. Um. And I, of of course, I think it's within the realm of possibility that that was just a fluke, and they'll they'll come back down to earth. But but this much, really, this much, I, I don't. I, I I think we proved against Iowa State that that maybe the defense, you know, at least the secondary, didn't play as bad in pass coverage as as maybe we thought. Um, I, I'm hoping maybe some stuff just evens out in this game, and and really, if they just start making. 
Lee, what if they make? What if they just make one or two big plays? You know, force a turnover. That that could change everything. And make some tackles. I mean, tackling yeah. was the the biggest ta- issue against Iowa State. They yeah. couldn't tackle anybody. And granted, they, Montgomery was slippery. He was great at breaking tackles. But still, I mean, Oklahoma yeah. still couldn't tackle anybody in that game. It was sure. it was frustrating. Sure, yeah. And so I, I, I guess the thing I'm I'm worried most about would be just them just not showing up. Maybe they're just being so dejected from last week and that they've they've thrown in the towel. I hope that's not the case. They're about to play in arguably the the coolest atmosphere in in all of professional sports. So, well, I mean, it's college sports. College sports. Did I say professional? I meant to say. Yeah, I, I didn't was that mean a to slip say of the tongue. Like you think that everyone's getting paid. And we're all just no. I meant I. I, I meant I, I. I meant more. I meant to I say know. like American sports. Okay. But. Okay. All right. So we're about done previewing OU Texas. We have two questions we always ask at the end of our breakdowns and our previews. First question, Grant. What do you want to see happen on Saturday in the OU Texas game? I. What do I? Wait, come on, man. They're playing Texas. I want to see a repeat of uh, two thousand, two thousand and three. Uh, any time they just took him to the woodshed. That's what I want to see. I, I don't. I that every every Sooner fan knows this well, game. I mean, is, specifically, spe- I mean, based off of this season. Obviously, we want to see them beat the beat the hell out of Texas. Okay, okay. So in that in, in that context, I, I want to see the effort. I, I just really like to see them come out with fire and, and effort because I and 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 I'm. I'm above uh, accusing a 19 or 20 year old kid of going out there and, and just laying an egg. I'm not going to do that. But at, it, at times it did look like there was some effort lacking there. Um, so I will give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't think that was the case. I think when they're out there, they do want to perform their best and, and they do take pride in their, and what, and what they do. Um, I, I, I would like to see them show it a little more this week. I, I think that's, that's important because I we're at the point now where I feel like if they show up, Lee, they're going to win the game, and I just want them to show up. What I want to see specifically in this game is what we've been talking about a lot during this podcast. I want to see Jordan Thomas make some plays. I mean, he's been there. He's been in the right spot. He's got to prove to us that he really is that above average to really good cornerback and make these plays when he's put himself in position to make them because – Again, you and I can give excuses for him, and, and that, that's not fair. I'm, I'm not making excuses for Jordan Thomas. I'm just telling you what's happening on film. He's in the right spot for the most part. He's just not making the play, and by making play, I mean he's not getting his hands up to bat a ball down, or he's not making the right timing, and he's not able to, uh, I guess, knock the ball out of a guy's hands. Or, or you know, That's what I mean by making a play. I think that's what Mike Stoops means as well when he says guys need to make more yep. plays. So he's just not doing that when he has that chance when the ball gets there. He needs to do that on Saturday. I want to see him do that because if that happens and both sides of the field between Parnell Motley and Jordan Thomas become a strength for Oklahoma's defense, it's going to get ugly for Texas's offense, Grant. It's going to be difficult for them to, them to move the football. And secondarily, Oklahoma, if they're able to tackle better against Iowa State, because I think Texas is going to try to throw a lot of those screen passes and and go horizontally like Iowa State did to try to force Oklahoma to make tackles. If Oklahoma is able to stretch out the the offense and make those plays and make those tackles, it's going to be a long day for Oklahoma, uh, for Texas' offense, rather. So uh, I want to see all that, but mainly I want to see Jordan Thomas make some plays. Yeah, and I'll add to that real quick. I, I, I I would like to see some attacking plays um, 
on on first and second yes. down yes. to trying to trying to create some negative yardage on first and second down. I, I just it, it's time. It needs to happen. We're we're at a point where it's it, it's time to take the reins off. Let's get aggressive. If 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 Texas calls good plays to combat it, then hats off to them. But let, let's let's put some pressure on their true freshman quarterback. Finally, Grant, what do you think will happen when OU plays Texas? So I, I alluded to it um, in my opening take, Lee. I, I, I just I have a just a horrible feeling about this game, um, and and I, I I don't I don't think that you know that's the gospel. Obviously, it's not. I I'm not a I'm not a fortune teller. I can't predict the future. Um, I had a bad feeling about last year's game too. Uh, you know, last year too. A lot of people forget they were coming out and they were they were bad defensively in the first four or five games of last year too. Um, a lot of people forget that same, I, it feels a little different this year because they're coming off of a loss. Um, but w- what's going to happen? I, I really, I've, I've been thinking about this all daily. I, I don't know. Th- this is, this is the least sure I've ever been about a game. Um, I, I think I would be more surprised if, uh, if OU came out and, and just kind of ran over them. I'd be more surprised if that happened rather than Texas did the same. Just because I, I I don't know where where this team is mentally right now, um, so as of right now I'll 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 say OU wins because I, I think OU is a better team when they show up and they play. I don't think that's controversial at all. Um, I think OU is going to win by six points. Um, Obo Okoronko will have a a a strip sack on the very last drive of the game to to secure the win. I got to give you some credit, Grant. Going very specific with the what will happen when normally this season you have been kind of general in your in your what will happen. Well, I feel like and, I need to do something there because I, I don't because I I don't just want to say OU is going to win because I, I I don't I honestly don't know if they do win I think they're going to struggle to a victory. Um, I I just I just want to get out of Dallas with with a win, man. That, that's all I care about. Well, the re- the reason I brought it up that you were very specific there is because in this instance. We're changing changing sides. I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm gonna be wishy washy on this, but here's here we go. Here we go. I think Oklahoma's defense grant will be aggressive and well schemed, similar to what we saw in 2009 when Oklahoma's defense was really good that season and came out and knew exactly what they wanted to do for with Colt McCoy and that Texas offense and played extremely well in that football game. It's just oh, you couldn't score against Texas defense mainly because Landry Jones was playing quarterback. Will though will that translate into stops and big plays for the Oklahoma defense that I don't know I don't know I think that Mike Stoops will come out and try to be more aggressive than he has been all season long and try to force the issue but I don't know if that's going to translate into more big plays because uh, there's, there's just no way of knowing right now but I think again I think Oklahoma will be more aggressive and force the issue I'm not going to predict the score for the first time this year I'm just I'm not going to do it I'm going to wuss out I have no feel or no clue for what will happen in Dallas in this game. So for that, I am deeply sorry. Lee, when was the last time we saw uh, just uh, anything like this before? We, we saw At the beginning of the season, we saw OU go on the road and beat Ohio State, uh, who, I, who I still think is a legit top-four team in the country, and not only beat them, but they, they dominated them. They, they really just kind of ran Ohio State all over the field. And then we see what happened last week. I don't think we've ever had two polar opposite extremes like this, where we're, we've seen something happen and then we've seen another thing happen. And I just have no idea who's going to show up. If Ohio State, Oklahoma shows up, they're going to win this game easily. If Iowa State, Oklahoma shows up, they're going to get 
they're gonna get embarrassed. They're gonna get boat raced. So they're gonna get boat raced. Um, if 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 in between shows up, then it's it's gonna be a, a hell of a fight. And so I, I I think that's more I think that's more realistic that in between those two games shows up. Um, and I think I I I have no doubt that Texas is gonna come out and they're gonna be fired up. I think Texas is gonna play well. All right, that's the OU Texas preview breakdown. Now we move on to the rest of the show. We're going to skip Big 12 talk because we've gone long on OU Texas. We're going to go right into our top 10, Grant. And the top 10 is the second best part of the show every week, aside from me taking a victory lap whenever I'm correct about Jordan Thomas. So for the top 10, we'll start with number 10, and then we each give our number 10, then we each give our number 9, and so on and so forth. Grant, I will start this week with my number 10 team, and my number 10 team this week is the same as last. That is the Auburn Tigers, and I have no reason. Just going to leave Auburn at 10. Okay, Lee, my number 10 team is new to my top 10. It is the Washington State Cougars. Um, A a very large part of me thought that they were going to go on the road uh, this week at Oregon or last week at Oregon and lose coming off of that really emotional win against USC. That did not happen. They went into Eugene and they controlled the pace of play and they, they looked like a mature, good football team. Uh, they're a top 10 football, uh, football team. Oregon's a good team. They went on the road after an emotional win and they, they really dictated the play in that game. Washington state has earned the, the number 10 spot in my top 10 Lee. Who has earned the number nine spot in your top ten? I will put the Wisconsin Badgers at number nine. I think you and I had an off-air conversation about Wisconsin. Um, I, I think I, I used to really hate on Wisconsin. I used to think they were perennially overrated and always terrible. I have since evolved and thought that's just a really hacky take. Wisconsin wins eleven or twelve games pretty much every single year. Wisconsin is a top ten program in the country. Uh, Wisconsin's a really good team. They're number nine. Wisconsin still is not in my top 10, and that's simply because Wisconsin hasn't played anybody this year. And in the one game where they kind of got challenged against Northwestern, uh, in in Madison, we saw Northwestern go and play a home game against Penn State, and, and Northwestern couldn't do anything against Penn State for the most part. And, was, and they gave Wisconsin a battle in Madison. So even though Wisconsin's undefeated, they haven't played anybody. They, I mean, they, they played less people than Penn State has, and Penn State hasn't played anybody. So the Badgers not in my top 10. Haven't seen enough from them yet. My number nine team, Grant, is the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma is still a top ten team. They're not granted right now. What we saw in the field Saturday was not a top ten effort. Was not anywhere. Not a top twenty five effort. It was from the offense. Defensively, not so much. But I'm going to give Oklahoma the benefit of the doubt at this point. Of course, if if we don't see them show up against Texas, it's not going to matter. They're going to be out of here. But at this time. When I'm looking at this top 10 and the teams, like I think Oklahoma would beat Wisconsin right now. I don't think Wisconsin's much of a challenge. I, that's why I have Oklahoma ahead of like a team like Wisconsin. I think they would destroy Hornibrook, who can't even throw a forward pass for the most I, part for, I, for Wisconsin. I don't, I, I don't know if this Oklahoma defense is going to destroy anyone right now. But Well, because what does Wisconsin do? Wisconsin runs the football a lot. I mean, the granted, they might... I get granted the Sooners might make Cornerbrook look like an All-American throwing the football. I'd be curious to see what Oklahoma's defense looked like against a Wisconsin team that gets in the I formation and tries to run it down your throat. The Sooners haven't really seen anything like that. That that's and they're not really built to stop something like that. So I'd be a little concerned there. I I, I think OU would would be fine on offense. I think physically, they they match up really well against Wisconsin. Uh, just because I I, they, they, I I think their defense is very similar to Kansas State, but they just don't really face anybody who can stretch their defense in the big 10 um yeah i i don't know i 
Wisconsin right now to me just gets the benefit of it outly. I, I think they're okay. That's fine. Yeah. Moving on to number eight, and at number eight, Grant, I have Washington State. Okay. I have the um, oh my gosh, uh, they're the Cougars. What, what, Cougar, yeah, I'm blanking on, uh, and and I really don't have have any reasoning for that. I I'm just impressed by the, the score of that Oregon game. I wasn't able to watch the Washington State Oregon game back yet. But uh, the fact that they beat them by three touchdowns at Austin Stadium, even though Oregon, I know, I think they, they had their backup quarterback playing, I believe. Yeah, but uh, Oregon. Uh, but still, I mean, they're a team Oregon that runs the that, ball. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's an impressive W. And so I got Washington State at eight. Yeah, that, that Lee, I, I just I want to touch on it one more time. That's why I put them in my top ten. That just that just kind of screams just like a really just professional, mature win by them. Yeah, and I, yeah, 100%. and that's and. They'll be in the top ten all year, I think. I don't think they're they're really going to lose a whole lot this year. Uh, Lee, my number eight team is Miami, Florida. Uh, they were the number ten team last week. Um, they went on the road and beat uh, a Florida State team that that I know has struggled this year, and I know they're very as of right now they're limited at quarterback um, and on offense just in general because of it, because of injuries. Um, Florida State still is is one of the five most talented teams in the entire country. Uh, Miami going on the road and beating them is still impressive. Uh, they're going to have the target on their back now. Um, we'll, we'll see if they can keep it up, but they're my number eight team, Lee. Miami not in my top ten. So I've given my eight team. Who is your number seven team now, Grant? My number seven team, Lee, is the Washington Huskies. Um, I, I think they're they're going to continue to to try to to kind of build steam. I, I think Washington's a good team. I think they're a borderline top five team. Um, they they they've proven to have staying power after last season. I, I thought last year they were they were sneaky talented. Last year, nobody really gave him a lot of respect. Um, this year, they've Chris Peterson has proven that he's got a, that he's got a program that's going to stick. Washington's good. They they haven't really beaten nor played anybody. Um, so I'm going to give them number seven just on on how they've taken care of business and just just like I said about uh, Washington State, just kind of how professional they've been. And they're a good team. At number seven, I have TCU, and I had TCU at ten last week. I I, I don't. TCU is a good football team. Obviously, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say they're not good. I'm not sold on TCU. The Frogs played a perfect game against West Virginia and still was fortunate to win the game at home. That game game came down to a couple turnovers from West Virginia. The Mountaineers' offense moved the ball at will for the most part in that game. I don't think TCU is particularly a great team, but the Frogs are coached well and they know what they are on both sides of the football. Each unit plays with supreme confidence. I think that goes a lot of a long way, especially in this day and age of college football. So that's why I have TCU at number seven. On to number six, and this is where I have the Penn State Nittany Lions. And last week, both you and I said Penn State is a fraud. And I think it's important to explain what at least I mean by that in light of the Nittany Lions being 6-0 and now and now ranked number three in the nation in the AP poll. So here's why I say Penn State's a fraud from my perspective. I mean that based on what we've been led to believe in regards to their offense. Penn State is overrated in that respect. Right now, Penn State's 37th in the nation in total offense, second in the Big Ten behind Ohio State, who's fourth in the nation in total offense. Penn State is 29th in the nation in yards per play, 6.49. Ohio State gets 7.38 yards per play. And by the way, Oklahoma has the best offense in the country by far, 587 yards per game, averaging 8.74 yards per play. Again, OU's averaging 8.74 yards per play. Penn State averages 6.49 yards per play. And there's people out there that think Penn State has the best offense in college football. That is stupid. Moreover, 
Penn State hasn't played a difficult opponent yet through six games. And that'll all change, though, when the Lions face Michigan at Ohio State at Michigan State in consecutive weeks beginning on October the 21st. I think Penn State's on a bye this week. So here's the last thing on Penn State. The only way Penn State is actually not a fraud grant is if that defense truly is as good as it has looked against limited offenses. Penn State is 12th in the nation in total defense. I tend to believe that Penn State's defense is pretty darn good. PSU gets pressure with their front four, blitz when they need to, and constantly make the quarterback uncomfortable. Basically, that defense is is covering up some some flaws in the Penn State offense and Penn State's lucky to have that defense because if, if it was a Oklahoma type defense for the last two games if if Penn State's defense played the last two games like Oklahoma did Penn State would would have lost two games instead of just lost one like OU did okay so that's my number that's my spiel on Penn State that was my number six team so now on to your number six team Lee my number six team is TCU um, you you touched on them uh, a couple minutes ago I have TCU there because I think their their resume is actually taking shape as a really solid resume. They went on the road and they dominated an SEC team, Arkansas. Um, obviously went on the road and they beat Oklahoma State. Um, they just beat a good West Virginia team. I, they, they have their resume right now, f- you know, five games into the season of a number six team. So that's why they're there. I, I, I think they're a fringe top 10 team. But my top 10 is, is going to always be sort of a mesh of, of deserve and and just who I think is, is, is better than who. So uh, TCU is my number six team, Lee. Uh, my number five team, Lee, uh, is Ohio State. They move up from last week. Um, and like I said, they're going to keep creeping up. They're not going to lose again um, in um, uh, the regular season. They're, they've been virtually perfect since Oklahoma beat them a month ago. My number five team is Washington. And just to add to what you talked about earlier in regards to the Huskies, yeah, their schedule has not been that great, but they have taken care of business and dominated these teams that they're supposed to dominate. I mean, only allowing a touchdown to Cal, allowing only a touchdown at Oregon State, only allowed 10 points at Colorado. I mean, they're they're beating down these teams they're supposed to beat down and not giving up anything defensively, which is very important. Uh, back in those, uh, those, you know, when you, you see these teams that win a lot of games, but they end up giving up a ton of points on defense to, to frankly, bad teams, that's when you kind of can think, oh, this team maybe isn't that good. Even though Washington's schedule isn't, isn't that great so far, they've taken care of business and dominated on defense, and the offense is, is definitely above average to really good. So that's why Washington is my number five team. And not and obviously the head coach Chris Peterson's a great head coach. They're all yeah they're they're going to have the head coaching advantage in ninety nine point nine percent of the games they play. Lee. So on to number four, I have Georgia at four, which is exactly where they are in the AP poll. I didn't get a chance to watch Georgia play this week, but they had another blowout victory, and uh, that's all I have to say about UGA. Uh, yeah, Georgia is also my number four team. Lee, um, I. They they have the look of a team. I I still think they're very limited on offense. They're they're not. I I'm sorry. When you, when you throw for less than a hundred yards in games, uh, you're you don't have a good passing game. Um, but their their defense has been so dominant. Um, and they they have a really good one two punch at running back. Probably the best one two punch in the country at running back. Um, uh, Georgia they have an easy schedule. I, I don't. I'm I'm not sure if Georgia can really lose uh, until Alabama in the SEC championship game. Uh, Lee, my number three team is you just you just touched on them a couple minutes ago is Penn State, and so I I, I do. So I I'm sort of split on Penn Penn State. I I still do uh, fall into the they're a fraud category, 
but me putting them at three is me trying to cover up and and hope that and try to just just try to be less hacky. I I, I do want to give them credit for what they've done, um, but I, I st- when I watch them, they they still just. If I was a Penn State fan, man, I'd be so nervous. I, I just about how inefficient their offense is and how they're they're pretty much they they need. Uh, Saquon Barkley to have a good game, or they need Trace McSorley to to run around in the backfield and throw a sixty yard touchdown pass. I, that's and they need their defense to force like three turnovers yeah, a game. They, they're just I they're just not, not sustainable. Yeah, they're, they weren't not against good teams. even even last year when they went on their huge run. They they weren't very efficient on offense. They were just doing it with big plays. Um, it, it's it's not as bad this year in that respect, but it's still very similar. And I, they're just. They're not a team that I think that if you have a good defense, you should never be scared that Penn State is going to mount just a really good, successful drive on you. Yeah, they have to get chunk plays really to move the ball, and and I think that's when you got when you got two really good defenses coming up on this get three actually with Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State. It, it's going to be really tough for them, I think, to put together really long, sustaining drives. My number three team, Grant, is Ohio State. The Buckeyes move up to number three now that Oklahoma lost and is out of the three spot. Ohio State only allowed 66 yards of offense to Maryland That's this past week. That is insane. Ohio State's defense is awesome. It's really good. They've shut everyone else down except for Oklahoma. Ohio State's at Nebraska this week. Then they have a bye. Then they host Penn State on October 28th. That's going to be the game everyone points to. Penn State is going to have some issues moving the ball against Ohio State. They just are. Ohio State's defense is really good. However, Penn State's defense, though, will definitely have success against the Buckeyes' offense. I, Probably. Penn State's defense will definitely slow down JT Barrett because Barrett's a limited passer. And, and when, it, when, it comes, when it comes down to I know we'll have plenty of time to talk about this game, it'll come down to talent. Uh, Ohio State's got way more talent than Penn State, and I think Ohio State's going to be able to win that football game. But at, at this time, Ohio State is my number three team. I'm assuming we have the and, same top two, Lee. Our top two the same. I just real quick, uh, Clemson and then Alabama, just as it's been all season for the most part. Grant, you mentioned that you were kind of uh, pumping the brakes on Clemson a bit. Still am. You still feel that still way? Still am. Yep. Um, I, I don't know if we're going to see it just because they their schedule actually to finish the season is is shockingly easy. Um, so I, I don't know if they're actually if they're going to lose. Um but yeah, they, I, I have the same sort of uh, criticism of them as I do Penn State. I think Clemson's going to struggle to put really good drives together against uh, against good defenses. Um, but Clemson's defense, I think, is is probably the best in the country, um, and so that that's what that's what puts them ahead of Penn State. Yeah, I just I don't see that with Clemson that you see. I think that offense when Kelly Bryant's in there, and he, and he got injured in the last game against Wake Forest. I mean, he. That offense is really sharp. Lee, do you remember it's really that? Good. That's, he's, he's getting better. Do you remember the stat? I actually I don't know if I threw it out. Um, I, I threw out the stat about Texas's defense about how they're not good against explosive plays. Um, I, I wanted to mention too. Oh, uh, Texas's offense is also really bad with explosive plays. So I, I I didn't mention that when we were talking about the OU defense. So maybe that's something uh, good for the OU defense that Texas is 116th in the country in explosive plays on offense. Lee Clemson is 127th in the country in explosive plays on offense. Um, so I, I, yeah, I'm a but little. I mean, yeah. When I've I've watched their games and it, that offense looks pretty darn explosive when it needs to be. I mean, okay. Ag- uh, agree to disagree. I mean, you're you're Kelly Bryant. You're wrong, is, and you're a clown. Better. But agree to disagree. Oh, yeah, that's that's real mature of you. Uh, by the way, Clemson's got a, a Friday game this week at Syracuse. I think, oh, I think they're at. I Syracuse. didn't know that. 
I yeah I you know I could be wrong about if they're at home or away, but they're definitely playing Friday against Syracuse. And uh, again, Kelly Bryant got hurt in the third quarter and didn't come back into the game. But I'm pretty sure Dabo Sweeney has said that he's he's expecting Bryant to be able to play. Yes, it is at Syracuse, by the way. Cool. And A and M surprising up A and M Alabama. I thought Alabama would be A and M by more points, but whatever, it doesn't matter. A- Alabama won again, and Al- and they're going to keep Alabama playing. is allowed to win on the road against a four and one team and not beat them by thirty. It's okay. All right, so on to the picks, and we got to get this over with quick. This is our longest podcast by far. Rapid fire, Lee. Rapid fire. This is our long. Well, first off, I got to say that uh, it was a disaster of a week for yours truly. Picking games a week ago, zero oh, and five. Oh my god! Way to go! I, I didn't get one game right. You were two and three. Yeah, I didn't have a good game. So it wasn't great. I, wasn't a banner week for you. I, I, I already said it. If if you judge sports people about how good their predictions are, just stop doing that. I we we're not fortune tellers. I have no idea how the future is going to go. It's just it's just something to talk about. And I, we well, the two games that uh, that you got last week was Washington State and NC State. And I got to say though, in my uh, when I, in the the pool that I do that I pick games against the spread, I actually did take NC State plus the points, good. and I did and I did take Washington State plus the points. So actually, and where it actually mattered more. I got W's in those two games, so I'll take it. Um, and I just just to make you feel embarrassed, you did predict that Michigan would blow out Michigan State, so good call on that one. I was wrong. Michigan, hey, Michigan turned it over five times in that game. They they outplayed Michigan State, but can't turn it over, guys. All right, rapid fire. And to be honest with you, I haven't even like picked my winners in this game, so this is going to be fun for for me at least. Texas Tech at West Virginia. Rapid fire. I'm going to go with the Mountaineers. Um, I will also go with the Mountaineers. I'll, I mean, I don't think any of us would be surprised if Texas Tech wins, though. Auburn at LSU. By the way, this is not. This is a bad week for games. This is not a very good week for college football games. Auburn at LSU. LSU coming off a, a nice win over Florida. Auburn is much better than Florida, even though this is going to be at Death Valley. I'm going to take the Tigers, the Auburn Tigers, not the LSU. Um, I'm going to take LSU, Lee. All right. Georgia Tech at Miami. I threw this in because Georgia Tech has that triple option, which is always kind of interesting. Plus, Miami at home is only favored by six points. But I will take uh, I'll take the Hur- Miami Hurricanes because of uh, the fact that they've been familiar with Georgia Tech and that option. So I'm sure they'll be able to slow them down to some extent. Uh, I'm actually going to take Georgia Tech. Lee preparing for the option on you know in in a week is difficult. Georgia Tech's not a bad team. Georgia Tech's a good team. They're oh yeah, they're good. Yeah. But I mean, they play each other every year. I'm, right? I'm yeah, They're in the same conference. I'm, so. I'm going to take Georgia Tech because eventually, I think more dominoes are going to start to fall um, in college football. I don't think it's been as as crazy this year as people thought. Uh, dominoes are going to start to fall, and, and I think this is which is usually the case when we get into conference play. Utah at 13th ranked USC. And in this game, I'm certainly going to take Utah plus the points. And Grant, I'm going to take Utah to win this game outright at USC. Okay, I mean, I, I, I actually I thought about that too, but I'll, I'll take USC. Um, Utah sort of disappointed me last week. I took them to beat Stanford. They didn't. Um, I have a feeling going on the road um, at USC. They're, I don't. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, it's Stanford USC back to back is tough, especially when you got to go on the road. Now I'll take the Trojans. And finally, we have Oregon at Stanford, who they all of a sudden rejuvenated Stanford Cardinal. Man, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm going to take Stanford because, again, I, I, unless Oregon's starting quarterback is back, I'm going to take the Cardinal because they are playing well. And uh, Bryce Love has like, I think, does he have, did he have 2,000 yards yet? Uh, he's, <laughs> Seems he, like he, li- like five he literally does have over 1,000 yards. 
So, I yeah. mean, which is ridiculous. I'll take Stanford. Uh, I'm going to take Stanford, too. Um, I think they'll, uh, Oregon's defense still has a lot of, had a, has a lot of work to, to do. Uh, Bryce Love, if he's, you know, he's running for 250 yards a game. Stanford's going to control the clock. They'll finish drives. Stanford will win. That's our show. If you're crossing the Red River this weekend to see OU Texas in person, make sure to have some fun. Wear plenty of crimson and enjoy what is one of the coolest atmospheres in not only college football, but sports in general. Grant and I will be back next week with plenty of reaction from the game. Hopefully our Monday show next week is much more positive than the one from this past Monday. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.